Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 332, Myocarditis and Sudden Adult Death Syndrome. In today's episode, we are digging into this rare form of heart disease that is unfortunately becoming more common especially in teens and young 20-somethings. We will explore risk factors, cause, as well as supplement and foodist medicine solutions. So this episode comes to you during our focus of heart health in February, and we have just one more episode on the topic where we will have Dr. Stephen Husey talking as our guest. And so this is kind of, you know, on the heels of last week's homocysteine release and talk on methylation, uh, another kind of higher level topic, I would say, but today is a really timely topic to say the least, as we'll dig into statistics, trends, and increased incidence and concern connected to spike protein. So uh, definitely this is a good one to listen to, to share with family members, loved ones, and we hope that our solutions that we offer you are ones that can be applied readily and that you can feel empowered versus victimized by this new incidence and risk factor. Yes, totally. Always the goal. Um, All right, so let's just get into updates before we go into today's topic. So I think the big thing we want to talk about today is that we actually have a free webinar coming up this week all about heart health. Yes, so in case you missed it in our newsletter, and if you don't subscribe to our newsletter, pause, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. Click on the bottom footer to join our newsletter, or you'll get a pop-up that allows you to do that. Uh, When you sign up for our newsletter, you will get a two-week food as medicine meal plan, as well as some functional medicine information. And um, in our newsletter, we've been sharing with our audience about this free heart health webinar. Our goal is that every other month, probably, we'll be offering you guys a webinar on a focused topic. So next up, we'll be on women's hormones, But this month, we really wanted to tie everything together for heart health. So we'll be talking about drivers of heart disease, food as medicine solutions, supplement support. We'll be digging into lipid panels and what an advanced cardiometabolic panel would include, the various biomarkers to navigate. We'll talk about hypertension as well as compounds that can influence or lower blood pressure. We'll be digging into lipid management, so how to keep your HDL high and robust while lowering those small dense LDL particles and triglyceride levels, and so much more. We'll also be talking about, of course, more advanced disease risk markers like homocysteine that we discussed last week, as well as inflammatory markers like high sensitivity, C-reactive protein, and so much more. So as Becky said, this is a free webinar. We would love you to attend it. If you sign up and register but can't make the live, you will get a recording link. And I think it'll be a really valuable tool to have um, and just a different learning application. This will be jam-packed in one hour and um, we'll be covering how to assess your true cardiovascular risk, what tests to request, as well as access to order those tests on our website. And uh, again, some food as medicine and supplement solutions. So we hope you'll join us there. And that'll be this Wednesday in just a couple days. All right. Let's have a brief word from our sponsor for this episode, Santa Cruz Medicinals. Yes. So CBD has the ability to improve mood, calm anxiety, and regulate stress. And it can actually serve to help to counteract cortisol release from the body. And we know that stress is a primary risk factor, chronic stress specifically, for heart disease. So CBD can be a great way with that cannabidiol compound to reduce that fight or flight mechanism in the body and help the body to feel safe while helping to regulate inflammation as well as pain in the body 
and even serve on a neurological level to mellow out that stress response, which can help with neuromuscular impact and even manage things like elevated blood pressure. Um, So CBD would be something to explore if you know you're high stressed and you need additional tools in your tool belt. You can use oral CBD as a tincture. Santa Cruz Medicinals offers a couple different flavor infusion options for you there, as well as different potency. And then they also have capsule options like their sleep CBD, which includes L-theanine in there and um, is a great potent dosage of CBD with 100 milligrams per dosage. And that's a big point that our friends at Santa Cruz Medicinals make is that their brand is actually more affordable than any when you compare the active milligrams. And CBD is not one of those compounds that can work at a micro or small dose. You actually need a strong enough dose to have clinical efficacy. So a lot of the buzzworthy products out there will have like five to 20 milligrams of CBD. And at Santa Cruz Medicinals, they suggest a hundred milligram a day challenge for one week. So this could be using uh, their deep sleep capsules or their MCT oil carrier tinctures. Um, And this would be a great way to see after one week of hundred milligrams daily, how you feel in your body. So are you experiencing less physiological tension or stress or inflammation or pain? Are you seeing deeper, more relaxed sleep state? Are you recognizing less fight or flight surge anxiety response or irritability? And then from there, you can kind of tighter down. We find that most clients get efficacy at around 50 milligrams, five zero a day, but doing that hundred milligram a day challenge is a really good way to kind of level up and experience the impact of cannabidiol. Remember the body naturally produces this compound. This is derived from the cannabis plant, but it does not have the psychotropic THC component in there. Um, And that's something to note because when you're buying CBD on many of these like shops now um, in towns where maybe marijuana is not legal, but CBD is, they're working with many metabolites like Delta-8, et cetera. And these can actually create more of that psychotropic effect or a quote unquote high. When you're using Santa Cruz medicinal CBD, this will not have that psychotropic psychoactive component. So you can drive your vehicle completely clear headed. You can show up at work completely clear headed, even if drug tested will not show any of that THC. So this is really more of a health supporting anti-inflammatory mood stabilizing stress harnessing compound without any of the kind of loony type uh, response that we could see in in the mental space. Uh, So just want to call that out because I will say different from many of the CBD shops out there, which are trying to kind of play with the metabolites and and yield some of those psychotropic components. Yes. So you can go on over to scmedicinals.com, use the code AllieMillerRD. That will actually save you 15% off your order and provide you free shipping. Again, it's scmedicinals.com. That stands for Santa Cruz Medicinals, scmedicinals.com, AllieMillerRD at checkout. And we know you'll be thanking us because you'll be feeling chill and calm and uninflamed. All right. Let's do it. So let's just break down first for listeners what exactly this myocarditis is that we're hearing so much more about all of a sudden. Yes, most definitely. So what was once considered a very rare form of heart disease, this is a condition in which the heart muscles themselves become inflamed and enlarged and that over time will create weakening in the heart. Okay, so weakening of the heart, not a good thing, obviously. Um, Let's tie this into sudden death syndrome, which we're also hearing more and more about. Yes, you know, we used to only think of the acronym SIDS for sudden infant death syndrome. And now there's this phrase SADS, sudden adult death syndrome, or just sudden death syndrome SIDS, SDS, without the I in there. And basically, this is often referring to an umbrella of cardiac conditions, myocarditis namely as one of the lead, and this can lead to sudden cardiac arrest and death. So with sudden death syndrome, we're talking about a lack of life or dying, mortality, that presents in an abnormal influence that seems kind of abrupt. And we know that there is some influence with electrical activity within the heart and sudden death will occur when there's loss of heart function. And this will often be within an hour of symptoms that present at random. And this could be dizziness, trouble breathing, loss of consciousness, 
a fluttering feeling in the heart or heart palpitations, as well as unexplained chest pain and or fainting, especially when exercising. And I think that's what really puts us on the radar when we're seeing in the news now over the last two to three years, more and more teenage high school athletes, you know, passing out Mm. at track or on the tennis court. Or, um, of course, we just saw a recent NFL player um, go down and what we'll talk about a little bit of the compounding incidents of, of being hit in the chest um, with these risk factors involved. But we're starting to really buzz about is myocarditis significantly on the rise and, you know, how do we assess it as a risk factor and how do we protect the youth from what was once a disease state of the elderly, you know, cardiac sure. arrest is really something that we don't think of in otherwise healthy individuals. And then in some cases, symptoms might not be present at all and right. victims would just die instantly. Yes. And especially again, when we're talking about a population outside of the elderly, it's wildly concerning. You know, sudden cardiac death is responsible for up to half of heart disease deaths. And in many cases, we're looking at young athletes with underlying potential genetic heart disease or those that have experienced a viral or bacterial infection that has reached the heart. And um, we used to see reports that about 1 in 50,000 or 1 in 80,000 young adults will die of sudden cardiac death each year. But these estimates are going up and we're now seeing more literature. In fact, now there are absolutely educational websites out there on sudden adult death syndrome. We've seen on buses uh, signage talking about children having strokes, uh, trying to normalize blood clotting factors in kids and teens and adults. And this is just very novel, very new and something that needs to be investigated further. Yeah, it doesn't sound normal. Right. Um, Right. Um, So what are some of the other underlying causes. So you mentioned myocarditis could be one. Mm -hmm. You know, a majority of sudden death cases are linked to coronary heart disease. So heart attacks and heart failure. And the incidence of sudden death from myocarditis is unknown in older adults. Uh, Roughly like one to 9% of patients are seen to have evidence of cardiac inflammation. But connecting this again back to incidence of viral or bacterial infection. We know that in young adults, nearly 20% of sudden death cases are linked to myocarditis. And further, we know up to half of sudden death victims with HIV show evidence of myocarditis during their autopsy. And so we know that definitely when individuals have a chronic viral Mm -hmm. incident, um, and we'll talk in a moment, spike protein especially is one of the driving factors that we're seeing of inflaming the heart. Okay. Um, What are some of the risk factors for sudden death and can they be reduced? So any of those classic cardiovascular disease risk factors would apply here. And then we would layer in, of course, the health status of the individual and their exposure to virus. So we're looking at elevated blood pressure or hypertension. We're looking at individuals that have dyslipidemia or imbalanced blood cholesterol. So maybe they have a suppressed low HDL or too high of a particle count of LDL or elevated triglycerides. We know that smoking as a pro-oxidant is a stress factor, so those that smoke cigarettes. We know that those that are actually physically inactive or obese would have a higher risk factor, and then that would be compounded with individuals that have diabetes because the diabetic influence of elevated blood sugar will often drive other comorbidities, and we know that elevated sugar in the vessels creates vascular injury, and then that creates inflammatory processes. And then, of course, any family history of premature or sudden death would be a population that we'd really want to be protective and hyper vigilant with. Okay. Um, and then you mentioned the exercise mm-hmm. risk, right? Let's talk about that because these are often athletes that yes. we're talking about. And that's what seems so remarkable and alarming. So the risk actually increases during exercise and for up to about 30 minutes after strenuous activity. Um, and we, when we're thinking of this, it's interesting. I'm a horseback rider now. And I think of, you know, like when I get off my horse, the extreme uh, mindfulness that's applied in cooling down your horse Mm -hmm. because of cardiac arrest. Um, For instance, you know, you have to start actually cooling your horse like from the leg up. You can't just hit him in the chest with cold water because they could actually have cardiac incident. Interesting. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, when we're working a machine, a a body, 
at high stress and the heart's beating, that cool down is something that we have to consider. Um, we also know blunt chest injury can compound. And so, for instance, when we saw Damar Hamlin um, a couple weeks back now, there was discussion of question of, you know, how many times had he been infected with COVID-19 or how many times had he been injected with vaccination for COVID-19 and did this play a role um, as far as that spike protein influencing his cardiac arrest? Because this was a top of the, you know, cream of the crop NFL player, right? right? That just absolutely went down. And it was, it was, I think, a really remarkable impact for America culture. And there was discussion of this Komodo cordis as the um, impact. And so this is basically a hard hit to the chest that causes sudden cardiac death. And um, the question was, you know, regardless of that impact, um, you know, the, the heart actually muscle doesn't get damaged by that condition or that impact. It actually changes the heart's electrical signaling. So it's like it shakes or it mm-hmm. jostles that cardiac electrical signaling and that blow to the chest can actually trigger ventricular, tr- ventricular fibrillation. And so, you know, they had the AED on field, the automated external defibrillator. And basically they said, you know, he, he died on the yeah. field yeah, yeah. and they and had they to CPR bring him and back to life. AED and... Yeah, Yeah. what, nine minutes or something crazy? Yes, yes. And so there was discussion of this tweet that went out that was uh, suppressed and then potentially was this published as a CNN article where the headline was, and and now if you Google it, it'll say that this was a bunk headline and it was photoshopped, et cetera. Um, But it stated, Dr. of Damar Hamlin confirms cardiac arrest was due to fourth booster vaccine. And I do know specifically that that player was very vigilant about boosters and actually had stated that unvaccinated individuals should not have the same freedom as vaccinated individuals. And so that's an interesting thing that needs to be examined, of course. And and now they're doing a lot more preliminary EKGs, even on like um, high school athletes uh, before they're allowing them to participate in sports. And we're starting to see in waivers and health forms question on vaccination status as well as infection status. Super, super interesting. And yeah, that I mean, the entire NFL, right, was being forced to get these vaccines until that was dropped and a few players held out, but not very many. So Aaron Rodgers was immunized. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> the word. <laughs> immunized. Um, and we're also seeing um, many training centers kind of picking up with these. So so most should have an AED on site, but For apparently sure. um, the amount of them on site has increased in the yeah. past couple of years as I well. I always think that when people say conspiracy theory, X, Y, Z, it's like, well, but follow the money. Because right. I think when you follow the money, uh, that that really can't lie. And that even individuals that have stake in the game, whether it is through pharma or through another institute, um, if you watch their spending dollars, you can kind of watch what they're anticipating. And so we know that the global automated external defibrillator market size uh, value has gone up astronomically. So it was valued at 717 million in 2021. And we're now looking at a uh, $1,621 million projection in just the coming next years. Okay, so I want to dig more into this inflammatory process that can be induced by either virus or by vaccine with a virus, um, as this seems to be really the most dynamic shift that we've seen in the past three years, right? The biggest thing that's changed in the past three years. Sure. And it just was unheard of to see otherwise extremely healthy individuals dropping to the ground. Um, And so this is definitely an area to put under the microscope, if you will, or to examine deeper. Um, We're talking about awareness and concern of sudden adult death syndrome. And we do know that circulating SARS-CoV-2 spike protein in the system can cause detrimental effects on our cardiac site, uh, our cardiac cells, excuse me, so the pericytes, um, which are cells in the heart. Um, and this can be actually independent of viral infection. There's been a lot of research review studies trying to examine the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines as a cause factor of myocarditis. So we know that the spike protein itself directly damages the heart muscle cells, The spike protein is pro-inflammatory or drives an inflammatory cascade throughout the body. And this can drive systemic inflammation that can indirectly cause heart problems. 
We also know that the influence of the spike protein on ACE2, which is a enzyme controlling blood pressure, is another remarkable contributing factor for cardiovascular incident. So we've seen through JAMA, um, when we look at a couple different just kind of resources out there when they're assessing risk factor and cost to benefit of vaccination strategy, uh, an article in JAMA noted that myocarditis, which is very rare, occurs primarily in young uh, men, and that could occur within one week of the second dose of the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. And that estimated incident was about one in 50,000 across all age groups, but it could be as high as one in 6,600 in people aged 16 to 19. Okay, so, so that's a really yeah, remarkable that's, risk factor. That's not rare anymore 6, when you're talking about one right. in 6,000. Yes. And, and again, that's through JAMA. So that's uh, pretty you know high level as far as accepted in the standard of care when we're looking at medical literature. And we have to always consider the um, is the antidote toxic ex- itself, right? So like the doses in the poison, you know, the, what is that phrase? The poisons the, in the dose. The poisons in the dose and yeah. or, you know, everyone has to really think about their own reward to risk factor. Sure. So if we look at this one in 6,600 people ages 16 to 19 of having myocarditis, and then we look at the fact that there was only 6,808 total deaths from COVID from 2000 to 2023 year to date of ages range 15 to 24 so substantially increased population size not just a three-year range right we're now looking at nine-year range of age and we've only seen that 6,800 total deaths um, and we know one in 6,600 are at risk of this inflammatory heart condition I'm not sure that that would weigh out Um, and especially when we're talking about if we looked at the percentage of that when you look at the entire population of that large nine-year age range and then you even consider further how death from COVID is attributed Um, because especially we know that it has come out and been exposed that there was some manipulation of data there was some false um, elevation of numbers or what's the word I'm looking for like overcounting yeah yeah Um, or inflation yeah yeah, inflating numbers um, and or attributing uh, the status of death as COVID if it was a car accident or something completely unrelated if there was a positive infection in that individual yeah yeah. So death with versus death from, very different, just yeah. to kind of note that. Yep. Um, and I think it's really important to call out as we're talking about this, the CDC just finalized that recommendation of the COVID-19 vaccines, you know, added to their children's immunization schedule. Yes. So that's concerning. And the recommendation now that they're annual. Right. Um, so we're now looking at this as a flu shot. However, which the flu shot has been pseudo controversial, I would say, in the sense of its efficacy. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that the annual flu shot changes its configuration based on the projected flu strains. Likely it's an efficacy of around 40% is what we see statistically. Um, But, you know, we still don't have tight data on the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccination. We know for certainty that it does not reduce infection, um, that it may influence the severity of infection. But again, we do have a known risk factor from injection that needs to be discussed louder and definitely considered for parents. Um, You know, we need to now know that when you're taking your child to the doctor, that this will go into that standard of care of the vaccination schedule now. And it's really important that we're always inquiring what shots they're being given and maybe considering spacing them out or omitting altogether. Yep, and, and certainly reading those pamphlets that come with all of the vaccines, but in states that don't have, you know, um, grounds for exemption, this means this is just going to be across the board. Every kid that goes to school has to get this. Yes. Um, so there's a couple, again, you know, we do see in um, literature, you have to scour and a lot of it's been suppressed, but this is another pull quote. Um, and this was from that JAMA article. It says myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle and pericarditis, inflammation of the fluid filled sac surrounding the heart are rare, but serious conditions, usually triggered by viral infection. Reports of these conditions after COVID-19 mRNA vaccination have prompted ongoing surveillance 
surveillance and research. So I think just taking the acknowledgement that we are starting to survey and dig into it is enough to create maybe potential hesitancy, especially if you have a child at that high risk factor, where again, we can very clearly see three years prior, we were not seeing SADS or sudden adult death syndrome. That acronym was not even mainstream. Um, So definitely something to consider. And then a couple more studies that have made their way out. Um, The Israeli study that showed that natural infection was superior to Mm -hmm. vaccination um, in terms of immunity. And then the one that we're going to link in this episode um, talks about increased emergency cardiovascular events in the under 40 population. Yeah, so this was the under 40 population in Israel, and they were looking at vaccine rollout and the third COVID-19 wave. So I'll do a couple pull quotes from this. This was in the Journal of Nature. An increase of over 25% was detected in both call types during January through May of 2021, compared with the years 2019 and 2020. And this is, again, looking at cardiac incidents reported in individuals under 40 years of age, 25% increase was noted. And then they look at emergency call counts significantly associated with the rates of the first and second dosages administered to this age group, but they did not see emergency call rates with that same age group with COVID-19 infection rates. So they saw more, if that makes sense, more emergent needed care Mm -hmm. for heart health for those that were vaccinated versus those that were naturally infected. And yet they'll note, while not establishing causal relationship, the findings raise concerns regarding vaccine-induced undetected severe cardiovascular side effects and underscore the already established causal relationship between vaccines and myocarditis, a frequent cause of unexpected cardiac arrest in young individuals. So pretty compelling, I would say, uh, pull quote from that article in the Journal of Nature, and we'll link that study in today's show notes. Okay. Um, And we'll see studies to come if anything does get further investigated. I sure hope so, and hopefully it makes its way, you know, to the mainstream. Um, Let's talk about other ways of, of decreasing the risks. I think, you know, one thing that could be done would be to, you know, skip the vaccines altogether. Um, Another thing that could be done is not to get infected, but that's kind of hard to do, right? Limiting your severity of infection for sure. I mean, we've talked about in so many episodes and constructs of quote unquote, the bad season, of how to reduce viral replication, sure, right? yeah, yeah. viral load. And so if you're following those types of uh, interventions, bringing in that cellular antiox, for instance, at first sign of infection, sure. um, doing good nasal hygiene, rinsing with saline, that, that X-Lear spray that I've talked about ad nauseum, I feel like, um, with the grapefruit seed extract and xylitol, that's going to reduce viral load for sure and reduce... Uh, the susceptibility to infection when you keep the nasal passages cleared and moistened. Um, I mentioned, you know, that cellular antioxidants I recommend as a household staple daily as a baseline, but then revving that up for that glutathione and NAC at times of infection. And, and that's kind of where I really lean into, you know, so yes, there's all those classic ways to reduce risk factor of heart disease. So we're talking about managing your lipids, right? Managing your blood pressure, preventing diabetes, um, following a Mediterranean-like diet. But when we're talking about this risk factor population of teens that don't have hypertension, sure. don't have diabetes, don't maybe smoke tobacco, um, you know, then we're really looking at the concepts of more of a functional approach of reducing the driving cause of inflammation, which like you said, could be through uh, medical driven through that driving cause of actual injection or infection. We're looking at reducing oxidative stress in the body. We're looking at preventing blood clot formation, and we're looking at enhancing antioxidant status because those are things that we can do proactively to ensure better cardiovascular um, health. And again, especially taking any infection very seriously. And I always say, you know, I don't care. Like I talk to so many mothers and they're like, well, my kid won't take this. My kid won't, especially for children, because if we know that spike protein can cause myocarditis, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You get that herbal ginger syrup in their mouth. (laughs) Like, you know, you get the combination of the bio C plus and the cellular antioxidants because we have to be pro-vigilant 
And, um, you know, it's not just as simple as saying, you know, don't get vaccinated. It's the fact of when infected, we need to be mindful about treating the infection as quickly as possible and reducing the potential insult or injury to the body and the organs for organ damage. Yep. So not just for the surface of like making symptoms better, making them feel better, but actually because there could be longstanding damage. Absolutely. Okay. And then other nutrients we would focus on specific to myocarditis and heart health. Here we're going to think of that world of CoQ10, um, omega-3s, especially EPA and DHA, carnitine, and then methylated B vitamins. Yes. So like we talked about in an entire focused episode, that connection of homocysteine values as a incident or risk factor for vessel damage and cardiac incident. And the connection that methylated B vitamins, so that methyl bioactive folate and that methylated B12, methylcobalamin, how these actually can help to reduce homocysteine and can also reduce then atherosclerosis or plaque formation in the heart, as well as reduce risk of thrombosis. Uh, So really key player there. We know that also individuals that have optimal carnitine status tend to have less cardiac incident. And we had an entire deep dive episode on carnitine, and um, we will link that in the show notes. But carnitine is an important cofactor in the transport of fatty acids to the interior of our cell mitochondria. And we know that carnitine often gets depleted in myocardial tissue. And this is one that can be depleted more so in athletes because they're burning through their mitochondria at a more rapid demanded rate. Carnitine administration has shown to decrease the incident of heart failure um, and to reduce the lethality indexes due to myocarditis. So another one that you'd want on hand and in our supplement world, that would be our boost and burn liquid. We think of that connected and we called it boost and burn, really focused on a way to enhance the way that your body produces ketones. And also carnitine has been shown to support body fat loss. But I think that it's equally as important of a harness or foundational formula when we're talking about cardiovascular health. And again, especially potentially for your male athletes in the household, Um, getting that boost and burn in would be a great thing to just do daily at rise for a preemptive support on the actual cardiac muscle and tissue. Yep. Um, And then let's talk omega-3s a little bit too. That's also a great, you know, preventative and something we recommend for every member of the household's kind of ongoing from toddlers on up. So we bring in omega-3s with our kids' essentials bundle because that DHA plays such a role with brain health and uh, cognitive function. But the EPA component in there is the strong anti-inflammatory. And we know that omega-3s actually can support elasticity, can reduce endothelial inflammation or that inner vessel lining of cells to reduce inflammation. Um, We know that omega-3s actually, and I'll link this study from PubMed, um, can actually regenerate heart tissue and control the production of inflammatory cells in the cardiovascular system. Okay, so pretty significant, regenerating the heart tissue. Yes. Okay. <laughs> kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yep. So eat your wild fish three yes. times a week and yep. also get in that EPA DHA, whether you're doing the liquid or the capsules. Yep. All right. Um, so we'll link that study. And then let's talk about um, CoQ10 a little bit more yes. in depth, because I think this is the biggest star of the show when it comes to myocarditis. Absolutely. And, you know, especially myocarditis in the presence of virus. So we've actually seen that the inflammatory process induced by virus can be suppressed by CoQ10 treatment. And we know also that pre-treatment with CoQ10 can reduce the severity of viral myocarditis as well as reducing oxidative stress as CoQ10 is a powerful antioxidant and that there is beneficial effect of CoQ10, um, especially when it's combined or compounded with other therapies for cardiac uh, ventricular ejection fraction. Um, Also, we've seen biochemical markers of myocardial damage in acute viral myocarditis to be improved when CoQ10 is added to the treatment regimen. Okay, so pretty impressive there. And then we've also seen studies showing efficacy in treatment of heart failure, um, cardiovascular disease, favorable HDL, cholesterol, Mm -hmm. reduction of um, high sensitivity CRP, which is that systemic inflammatory marker, 
um, low CoQ10 levels, um, to the contrary, have been associated with greater damage to tissues after a heart attack or stroke. Yes. So again, we really have spoke to CoQ10 deeply and we'll link an episode completely about CoQ10 as well. This was episode 246 and, um, you know, this was an entire hour all about CoQ10, but I think that we've probably harped on or educated our audience on the necessity of CoQ10 in individuals that are using a statin medication Mm -hmm. because we know that that statin drug actually blocks the HMG-CoA reductase pathway. And that pathway is the building blocks or the production pathway of where cholesterol is formed. And when we inhibit that pathway, we know that also CoQ10 levels are depleted as well. And this is what could often drive the uh, myalgias or the muscle aches and weakness that we see that are statin induced. So CoQ10 is absolutely essential because if you're on a statin drug, that means that you have a cardiovascular risk factor. Right. Um, And so CoQ10 may in itself actually help with that lipid recovery as a preemptive without necessity of the statin drug. But anyone that's on a statin needs 100 to 200 milligrams of CoQ10 daily um, to really ensure that they're offsetting the depletion that that drug is driving. Yep. Super, super important to call Mm -hmm. out, I think. Um, And yes, I know we have a whole episode on it, but I think just for listeners that are already here and already made it this far, um, let's just go over a little bit more on, you know, what exactly CoQ10 is, where we find it in the body and just some of the highlights of its importance. Yeah. So it has a really powerful role in reducing heart inflammation. And that's what I'll kind of focus our nerding out on on today's episode but uh, over in episode 246 we talk about its role in fertility in neurological conditions like parkinson's disease Uh, we talk about just the breadth of use of coq10 in the body but i'm going to really kind of hone in on its role in heart inflammation uh, connecting this to myocarditis and of course sudden adult death syndrome So CoQ10 or coenzyme Q10 is an essential nutrient that functions as an antioxidant in the body. It's also known as ubiquinone or ubiquinol, and we will educate you again on the variance of the active or inactive form and and why that matters or the reduced form versus active form. CoQ10 is made naturally by the body and it's used to provide energy to our cells. It transports electrons and supports a regulated blood pressure. And it helps other enzymes in the body work properly. So we think of it as kind of a supportive player, but especially in concentrated space where CoQ10 would be naturally found is where we're going to see its biggest impact on the body. And so we look at it concentrated in the heart primarily, and then we also see concentration of CoQ10 in the kidneys, the liver, and the muscles. And um, it plays a big role. We think of it as kind of like the uh, support to mitochondria is like the support to the batteries of our cells, which plays a big role in energy production. And you think of the role of the heart is to pump blood through the body <laughs> to keep us alive. Sure. And that's this kind of central energy production factory, if you will. Yep. So like a highly concentrated area of mitochondria, those energy factories is the heart. Absolutely. Um, and that's where we find, you know, high concentrations of CoQ10 just naturally in mm-hmm. the body. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it has an array of mechanisms in the body from cardiovascular health to fertility. We see with fertility, it protecting egg health um, as well as sperm. So it basically allows more viability because if sperm is dying or is aged um, or oxidized, right? We think of this as an antioxidant. If eggs from a woman that are being released during the cycle of ovulation, are oxidized they may only live 12 hours instead of that full 24 hours right so coq10 plays a huge role with fertility we see it plays a huge role with cellular energy production as we mentioned so we even would lean into this as a focus for chronic fatigue syndrome or in the world of covid long haul so maybe that individual is just dealing with the brain fog sure. and the achiness and the physiological fatigue but maybe not even thinking about how their hearts included right um, but that would be a big key influence there we know that it plays a role with supporting as we said lipid balance in the body so maintaining a good healthy hdl 
cell level. It can reduce your C-reactive protein. It can improve exercise performance. So another reason to give this to the athlete in the household, A, it prevents from that myocarditis risk factor, and B, it actually can enhance their performance, which I think that's a great two for one when we're trying to get, especially teens or 20-year-olds who feel that they're invincible on supplements. You know, they're like, oh, I don't want to feel like an old person taking a bunch of pills. Okay, but this can help to enhance your performance. So I think that's a pretty big player and something I would really argue as an essential for, for instance, high-performance athletes like professional athletes, um, most definitely. Yep. Yeah, we talk about, you know, the role of antioxidants in general for athletes, but I think this is just really coming into light with all this recent stuff. Absolutely. So studies have shown efficacy in treatment of heart failure and cardiovascular disease uh, and, and some of those mechanisms being the blood pressure lowering, the C-reactive uh, inflammatory marker lowering, and that HDL elevating factor. And we've seen that those that have low CoQ10 levels associated with greater damage to the tissues after cardiac incident of heart attack or stroke, as well as more susceptibility to incident in the first place. Sure. So if having an episode, you're going to get more tissue damage, which means a more delayed recovery and higher incident of recurrence. And also the incident itself would be reduced if CoQ10 status is optimized. Sure. Um, and so three out of four patients with heart disease have been shown to have low levels of CoQ10 and circulating levels of CoQ10 are going to decrease in direct proportion to d- disease progression. I'm going to link a study about yeah. that really wild. in our show notes, but it's pretty remarkable. Yes. So we think of some of its mechanisms beyond lipid metabolism as just the concept that CoQ10 is an antioxidant, okay? And so as an antioxidant, it can actually reduce reactive oxygen species or ROS. And we know that reactive oxygen species are what causes serious cellular damage. So that oxidative stress accelerates the aging process, creates hardening or rigidity in the vessels and less cardiac function overall. And we know that reactive oxygen species can react with our cell membranes all the way down to the level of our DNA and our protein centers. And so this can really impact even healthy cell replication and can really influence, especially when we think of, again, these younger ages when they have decades ahead of them of viability and vitality, a really important player to make sure that we have that that optimal status. Okay, so that all still counts kind of as this antioxidant effect of CoQ10. Let's cover now the anti-inflammatory mechanisms. Yeah, so there are some new studies that actually establish the anti-inflammatory properties of CoQ10, and this is possibly by the means of nitric oxide regulation, and that mechanism is one that could be very effective in heart failure treatment. So we know that cytokines and chemokine secretion could actually reduce in the presence of CoQ10, and this would actually then reduce that myocarditis and heart failure. Pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. And then heart failure specifically, we've actually seen a study that will link. It's called the effect of coenzyme Q10 on morbidity and mortality in chronic heart failure. Okay. And this was a randomized double blind trial, which is the gold standard of research. And we saw that the endpoints were significantly lower in the CoQ10 group compared to the placebo group. Cardiovascular mortality was halved essentially and all cause mortality um, significantly at 10% uh, versus 18% in the placebo group. So incidence of hospital stays was lower and there was significant improvement in cardiovascular function in those that used that CoQ10 group even for lengths of two plus years. Okay. So even those, you know, already dealing with significant cardiovascular um, disease or heart failure can benefit here. Yes. And this was a dosage in that double randomized clinical trial of 100 milligrams three times daily. So a total of 300 milligrams, which would be three of our 100 milligram CoQ10 complex. But we've also come out now, just at the time of this airing, with a 200 milligram dosage. Because again, we're starting to see more and more need. Um, We're starting to prescribe more of a 200 milligram dosage as a preemptive 
preventative, especially in this high-risk male teens and 20-year-olds, especially if these individuals have received more than two vaccinations. That would, again, you know, be another risk factor or have had more than two natural infections. Sure. Um, so again, this is not a, you know, name, shame, focus on injection, but we do want to be mindful of when we choose to get vaccinated and boosted that that is driving up a risk factor for cardiac incident and inflammation in the heart. Yep. And I would say this is probably the most protective supplement you could bring in in that incidence with regards to, you know, the myocarditis piece of the puzzle. Yeah. I mean, we've even seen studies on the effect of CoQ10 on atrial fibrillation. Um, So when we're talking about arrhythmia in the cardiovascular space, um, there was a study that looked at for AFib 102 individuals, um, so 102 people um, with age ranges of 45 to 82. So this is more in the middle-aged to elderly population. And there was a significant reduction in the AFib and the individuals that brought in that CoQ10 or the what they were calling in this study the CoQ10 group. And then we also see, again, CoQ10 as a role in essential hypertension. So we've seen that the mean 24-hour blood pressure recordings showed a statistically significant reduction of uh, blood pressure volumes with use of CoQ10 therapy, and the research confirms its antihypertensive effects. Okay, so beyond infection or vaccination as risk factors, let's just talk some of the known symptoms or concerns we would see with CoQ10 deficiency. Yeah, so we could see actual chest pain or arrhythmia or hypertension as risk factors, uh, but maybe in this kind of like teen to 20s model, we might see it presenting more as fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, like maybe not harping on our, our kiddos for being lazy or undermotivated because if they have CoQ10 deficiency, that could create more of that long haul, that chronic fatigue mm-hmm. syndrome, achiness. Um, so we would also lean into looking at muscle aches or dystrophy. And then gingivitis is a big one as well. So if we're seeing gum health issues and inflammation um, in tissues in general, that would be an area to focus on digging into that CoQ10. And other drivers of deficiency or risk factor beyond viral infection or high presence of circulating spike protein would be chronic disease states that are pro-inflammatory. This would also be individuals that are exposed to toxins or have high levels of oxidative stress individuals that have deficiencies actually in their B vitamins. So especially B6, we talked about that a lot last week, how B6 is that really important cofactor or activator. And that's why we have B6 in our cellular antioxidants to help to convert NAC into glutathione. That's also why we have B6 in our, of course, B complex in a quite potent dosage. We include it even in our adrenal support formula to help with that glandular level of stress resilience and tolerance. And then, of course, it's present in that methyl uh, complete formula that we just released last week to help with lowering homocysteine and supporting that methylation. And we would also consider anyone that has a mitochondrial disease or condition, as well as, as I noted, individuals on those statin drugs. Okay. Um, So that's who might be deficient. Um, And I think you hit that statin drug connection pretty hard. So like this is a non-negotiable. If you're on Mm -hmm. a statin, you take the CoQ10. No doubt. No doubt. And you know, it's important to know also that CoQ10 does deplete over time. So it declines naturally through the aging process, as does most nutrients really, but especially our antioxidants. And that's where we see oxidative stress being the accelerator of aging, essentially. And then we would look at, just like we looked at risk factor for myocarditis or sudden adult death syndrome, these comorbidities like diabetes, uh, we know congestive heart failure, hypertension, these would all drive down CoQ10 status as well. Sure. Um, And I would also note in there, um, you mentioned all of the cardiovascular stuff, but um, I would note eye health and like macular degeneration. Mm, We can also see Mm -hmm. um, concerns there or glaucoma, um, anything to do with kind of those mitochondria of our eyes, right? Organ organ dysfunction in general, I think would be a really good thing to call out. Sure. Um, Let's talk about absorption of CoQ10 and this like longstanding debate. Um, I get asked about this all the time. 
What's the deal with ubiquinol versus ubiquinone? Okay, so ubiquinone is a highly unstable molecule, and that's what makes absorption and bioavailability a challenge. Um, and this is why many manufacturers in the supplement space are taking a shortcut, and they're using the reduced form of CoQ10 called ubiquinol. Um, and ubiquinol can show higher in blood testing, but this does not um, serve as an active form of CoQ10 and may not support cellular or tissue areas of need. So we may not get as much cardiovascular uh, support or reduction in that inflammation in the heart when we're using that reduced ubiquinol form. Um, we have to also watch out for products on the market that use toxic additives as stabilizers. Um, and we were very strategic in our formulation to ensure that we were using the ubiquinone bioactive form and that we, we were using other antioxidants in the status of the ubiquinone form to protect it from that oxidative stress or that instability. So ubiquinone is the form of CoQ10 that your body naturally produces, that most bioavailable form. And this is what is actually delivered to the mitochondria for your electron transfer chain. And this is what generates energy to the cells. And again, ubiquinol or that reduced form is what we see in most products in the market. And that is not necessarily usable intracellularly. So that's kind of the, the biggest thing to look at there. So the body's going to convert that back into ubiquinone in order we to hope. use it. We hope. And we don't know what all of the risk factors for not being able to convert that would be. And we don't know the amount of conversion right. that conversion actually happens. Conversion factor would right. be a mere assumption and would sure. be very highly individualized based on the individual's genetics and metabolic pathways. Sure. So our CoQ10 complex is formulated to ensure that we're getting that bioactive form while ensuring that it has enhanced absorption and stability. So we actually include zinc oxide and citrus peel and turmeric to line our soft gel to protect it against oxidation, that unstable compound. Um, and we're also adding in even vitamin E and medium chain triglycerides to enhance the delivery because CoQ10 is uh, both water and fat soluble. So we want to make sure that it's this bioavailable gel capsule that is going to protect against the photosensitive element or the light exposure. That's why it's a opaque mm -hmm. gel capsule, as you'll see. Um, and that's going to help to enhance the antioxidant boost from CoQ10. That's why we call it a CoQ10 complex. Yes, I think of it as our CoQ10 is wearing some sunscreen, right? Kind of, um, yeah. On the inside Reducing of the capsule, oxidative right? stress, yeah. right? Light yeah, yeah. damage, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so, as I forementioned, you know, we have come out now with a CoQ10 complex of 200 milligrams per gel capsule. So that's going to include, include some savings if you are doing a dosage of 300 milligrams a day or if you're doing 400 milligrams a day, um, especially if you're doing, for instance, like IVF, Sure. And investing all of that money, you want to make sure that you're getting in, in IVF, we look at 400 milligrams or two capsules of our 200 milligram. And with that larger capsule and double potency capsule, we are saving you the cost from doing two 100 capsules sure. to take yeah, that yeah. 200 capsule, um, you get a little bit more bang for your buck. So what I've been doing with some patients is, um, especially if they have any heart disease uh, risk factors or any past incidents, I'll have them use that 200 milligram and then add a second one every other day so that they're averaging out at that 300 milligram. Sure. And so okay. maybe evens of the calendar, they're going to be taking um, an additional one at lunch. Um, or I will have them purchase both variables of the 100 and 200 milligram and they take their 200 at rise and their 100 daily at lunch. It just depends on what they prefer as far as habit ritual. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yep. But there is some savings in purchasing that 200 milligram for certain. Yep. And no harm in taking a little extra CoQ10 if you just took two of the 200 Absolutely. capsules right. as well. Right. No doubt. That'd be fine just for cost savings and efficacy. Um, and I want to note that our CoQ10 um, 100 has been added into our brand new heart health bundle. Um, let's actually talk a little bit about that new bundle. We felt the need, especially in February, as we're talking all things heart health. Um, we couldn't believe we didn't have a heart health bundle already. I know. I mean, we have women's hormones, we have kids' essentials, digestive basics, keto. What is the keto one called? Keto essentials. Keto essentials. I think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we didn't have a heart health bundle. So we're launching a heart health bundle. Um, the beauty of our bundles is that they always save 12% as opposed to you purchasing the formulas independent. So you're going to be getting that bundled savings. And this is a great suite 
of four formulas that would be both anti-inflammatory, antioxidant boosting, and preventative of cardiovascular disease. So this includes our EPA DHA extra or our omega-3 fatty acids in a concentrated form, which gives us that 710 milligrams of EPA and 290 milligrams of DHA per gel capsule. Um, And again, as we noted, omega-3s have actually been shown to regenerate healthy cardiovascular cells. So pretty important there. And that's the number one go-to if your triglycerides aren't down, we would ramp that up. And so a general amount of dosage would be about one twice daily, but we could be upwards of four or six capsules daily if we're trying to harness those triglycerides. CoQ10 complex in here, we're including that 100 milligram. And so for some individuals, they might purchase the CoQ10 complex 200 and add that in, but this bundle will have that inclusion of the 100. This is again, providing us that CoQ10, which is essential for energy production, um, supporting the mitochondria and cardiovascular health in that bioavailable protective form. And this can support hypertension or blood pressure lowering effects, as well as prevent against that myocarditis. We have methyl complete in here. So this is our novel or new formula that we brought on in this year. And this is our formula that supports lowering homocysteine levels. It includes that L5-methyl tetrahydrofolate or that body bioavailable form of folate along with NAC and acetylcysteine, which is that powerhouse antioxidant building block to glutathione. B6, B12, and betaine are all in here. And these are the nutrients that support methylation and promote healthy homocysteine metabolism as well as reducing that vascular rigidity or inflammation. And then the fourth player in here, so there's your omega-3, there's your CoQ10 complex, the methyl complete, and then boost and burn. And again, boost and burn is going to provide us that L-carnitine, which is a really important nutrient for heart health. Um, We've even talked at length about that episode of carnitine, which we'll link in the episode, and high statistics on how it can prevent secondary incident for those that have experienced heart failure. We also include in our boost and burn ribose, um, and ribose also is an important nutrient for heart health, along with pantothenate or B5 for energy enhancement and muscle recovery. So we see better mitochondrial function with our boost and burn. We see direct cardiovascular improvement, reductions in fatigue, improvements of resilience and exercise performance, as well as like the added benefit of body fat burn and boosting your ketones, which ketones in themselves are disease preventing, but also could have a favorable impact even on things like mood, as we talked a couple episodes about ketones and combating depression and anxiety. Yes. And our bundles are really meant to be kind of an intro to our product. So um, a great way to maybe get a husband who is on a statin drug or has elevated cholesterol on board um, with regularly taking a couple of formulas that are going to show great efficacy. Absolutely. And, you know, this is not a load of pills, I will call out, although it is four formulas. You know, we're looking at a couple teaspoons of the Boost and Burn at Rise. We're looking at two capsules of our Methyl Complete. Like I said, two to four capsules of that EPA DHA Extra. And then that CoQ10 complex would be one to two yep. capsules. And um, if dosing in that way, which we will guide you at AllieMillerRD.com, this would last you uh, a month's worth and um, could even go a little bit extended depending on how you're dosing these formulas. Yes. Yep. Um, and then we mentioned the CoQ10 200 as um, an option. And so that will be available on the website as kind of a drop down from that regular page where you're ordering your CoQ10. Um, we will be alerting, you know, those of you that are subscribed that there is this new option, um, especially for, like you said, fertility um, or anyone who um, has a known cardiovascular risk. I think upping to that 200 is super important just to get the potency and not have to take so many individual capsules. Yeah. And you could also do something where you would dose dependent based on incident, right? So if we're connecting spike protein as a risk factor here, um, you know, this would be something that we'd want to go at a higher dose, like 400 milligrams around time of if choosing to do booster or around time of early infection or post-infection, because this is going to reduce the insult of that spike protein in the body. And so again, a 
good um, insurance policy, if you will, or provigilant way to ensure that, um, you know, maybe you can't modify the risk factor always, but you can modify the insult of said risk factor. And I think having that empowerment of that ability to kind of shield or protect the system is something that's really important to me. And I'm always uh, feeling blessed and grateful that I'm able to share these resources and solutions with y'all so that, again, information doesn't drive fear or uh, distress, but we can feel empowered when we're observing this influx of sudden adult death syndrome and knowing maybe some of the driving risk factors and how we can modify those variables. Totally. Yep. All right. I think we've done it. Yes. So go on over to AllieMillardi.com. Check out the Heart Health Bundle. Um, Click on the link in today's uh, podcast if you'd like to sign up for our Heart Health webinar. And as always, um, thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. If you learned something today, we are uh, absolutely grateful if you'll go on over to iTunes, Google Play, wherever you're listening, um, leave a five-star review and a couple sentences. And uh, just a note on the supplements that we share, we always really push the uh, marker, if you will, to ensure that we have the most potent and affordable products. And so again, we're presenting you with the problem while giving you the solution all in a tight, pretty bound bundle, um, if you will. And um, we find a lot of pride in doing that. And our purpose is not just to sell product, but to actually ensure that you have access to the tools that will create efficacy or clinical outcomes. And we're very confident that we're pricing things as affordable as possible. We actually research all of our competitive formulas out there. You're welcome to shop them as well and just use our podcast as a resource of education and then look at the backs of our products, compare, price compare, milligram and dosages. Um, But we really always fight to be two to 5% below any competitive vendor while still having that pharmaceutical grade product. So something that we kind of dig out from our margins to ensure that we're providing that service for y'all so that you can again, have accessibility and empowerment through living in today's dirty world. Yes. We've got your back, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.